welcome to the Crack Open a Classic podcast, a podcast where I read a chapter or two, an episode aloud, ask questions to help you think about the chapter, and open the world of classics to you. So grab a cup of coffee or tea, and let's jump into the chapter. Chapter 10, The Man of the Seas. It was the captain who had spoken. Ned Land got up quickly, and the steward, who had almost been strangled, staggered out in obedience to the sign of, from his master. Such was the captain's power on board that the man did not betray, by the smallest gesture, the resentment he must have felt against the Canadian. Kinsay, who could not help taking an interest in the proceedings, and I, who was bewildered, waited in silence to see what would happen. The captain, leaning against a corner of the table, his arms crossed, studied us with rapt attention. Was he hesitating to speak? Was he sorry he had uttered those words in French? One could well believe it. After a few moments' silence, which none of us dared break, he said in a calm, penetrating voice, "'Gentlemen, I speak French, English, German, and Latin quite well. So I could have answered you at your first interview, but I wanted to make your acquaintance first, and then think the matter over. Your four separate accounts, which were basically consistent, confirmed for me your identities.' I now know that chance has brought before me Monsieur Pierre Aranax, professor of natural history at the Paris Museum, engaged in a scientific expedition abroad, Conseil, his servant, and Ned Land, a Canadian-born harpooner, on board the frigate Abraham Lincoln, a ship of the United States Navy. I bowed in agreement. The captain was not asking me a question, so I did not have to answer. He expressed himself with perfect fluency without a trace of an accent. His phrases were clear-cut his words well chosen, and his ease of speech remarkable. However, I did not feel he was a fellow countryman of mine. He then continued, "'You undoubtedly have thought, monsieur, that I have taken a long time to come back and pay you the second visit. The reason is that, once having established your identity, I wanted to give mature consideration to the question of how I should treat you. I've had many doubts. Due to the most annoying circumstances, you find yourself in the presence of a man who has broken with humanity. You've intruded on my existence.' "'Without meaning to,' I said. "'Without meaning to?' the stranger replied, raising his voice a little. "'Didn't Abraham Lincoln mean to pursue me all over the ocean? "'Did you not mean to secure a passage on board the frigate? "'Was it by accident that your shells bounced off my hull? "'Was it intentional that Ned Land struck it with his harpoon?' "'I detected a note these words in ill-contained irritation. "'But I had quite a natural reply to make to these remonstrations, "'and I made it, "'Monsieur,' I said, you are doubtless unaware of all the talk that has been going on about you in Europe and America. You do not realize the stir created in public opinion on both these continents by the various accidents caused by the collisions with your craft. I will not bother you with all the innumerable speculations with which people have sought to explain the inexplicable phenomenon of which you alone held the secret. But you should know that, in pursuing you across the high seas into the Pacific Ocean, the Abraham Lincoln imagined that it was giving chase to a powerful sea monster, of which the seas must be rid of at all costs. A half-smile hovered on the captain's lips when he said in a calm voice, "'Monsieur Aranax, would you venture to suggest that your frigate would not have pursued and bombarded a submarine vessel as readily as it did a monster?' This question embarrassed me, for certainly Commander Farragut would not have hesitated. He would have considered it his duty to destroy the menace, be it narwhal or machine. "'You therefore realize, monsieur,' the stranger continued, "'that I have the right to treat you as enemies.' I said nothing. What good was it to argue about such a suggestion when superior force can demolish the best of arguments? "'For a long time,' the captain went on, "'I hesitated. 
I was under no obligation to grant you hospitality. If I were to part company with you, I should have no interest in seeing you again. I should put you back on the platform of the ship where you previously took refuge. I should order the ship to dive, and I should forget that you had ever existed. Wouldn't that be within my rights? It might be the right of a savage, perhaps, I replied, but not of a civilized man. Monsieur le professeur, the captain was quick to reply, I am not what you would call a civilized man. I have broken completely with society for reasons only I have the right to appraise. I do not therefore obey any of its rules, and I suggest that you never invoke them in my presence. That was plain speaking. A flash of anger and disdain had lit up the stranger's eyes and had a glimpse of what must have been a terrible past in this man's life. Not only had he placed himself outside the sphere of human laws, but he had made himself an independent free in the strictest sense of the word, beyond reach. Who would dare to pursue him to the bottom of the sea, since he thwarted all efforts directed against him on the surface? What vessel could stand the shock of his submarine motor? What armor, however thick it might be, could resist the blows of his lance? No man on earth could demand that he account for his actions. God, if he believed in him, and his conscience, if he had one, were the only judges to whom he might look. Such were the thoughts that quickly passed through my mind as this strange man remained silent, as though absorbed and withdrawn into his own shell. I thought of him with a mixture of fear and interest, just as Oedipus must have thought of the Sphinx. After a fairly long silence, the captain continued. I hesitated, he said, but I reflected that my interest might well coincide with that natural pity to which all human beings do have a right. You shall stay on board my ship, since fate has brought you here. You shall be free, but in exchange for this freedom, which, be it said, is only relative, I will impose just one condition on you. It will be sufficient to give me your word that you will abide by it. But, sir, I replied, I suppose this condition is one that an honorable man can accept? Yes, monsieur, it is. It is possible that certain unforeseen events may compel me to confine you to your cabins for a few hours or even days. Since it is my desire never to use violence, I shall expect you, in such a case, more than any other that may arise to show passive obedience. In doing this, I absolve you from all responsibility, taking everything upon myself, since I am making it impossible for you to see things that must not be seen. Do you accept this condition? So this meant things happened on board that were, to say the least, strange, and that should not be seen by people who had not placed themselves outside the bounds of society. Of all the surprises the future held for me, this would surely not be the least. We accept, I replied. However, I would ask your permission, sir, to put one question to you. Just one. Yes. You have said that we should be free on board your ship. Entirely. And I should like to ask you exactly what you mean by free. Well, the freedom to come and go and see and even watch everything that goes on here, except under certain rare circumstances, the freedom, that is, that we ourselves have, I and my companions. Obviously, we did not understand each other. Forgive me, sir, I rejoined, but this freedom is only the one that all prisoners have, of, wit of being able to walk about their cell. That cannot possibly be sufficient for us. But it must be sufficient for you. What? Give up all hope of ever seeing our country, our friends, and our relatives again? Yes, monsieur. But to give up that intolerable yoke, which men believe to be freedom, is perhaps not so painful as you think. Never, cried Ned Land. Never will I give my word not to try to escape. I do not ask you for your word, Master Land, the captain replied coldly. Sir, 
I replied, carried away despite myself. You are abusing your position to take advantage of us. This is cruelty. No, monsieur. It is clemency. You are prisoners of war. I am keeping you here, although one simple order would suffice to have you thrown into the bottomless ocean. You attacked me. You have stumbled on a secret that no man on earth shall ever penetrate, the secret of my whole existence. And you imagined that I am going to send you back to that world that must never hear of me again. That is out of the question. In keeping you, I am not guarding you. I am protecting myself. These words of the captain's indicated he had adopted an attitude against which no argument could prevail. In other words, sir, I continued, you are merely giving us the choice between life and death. Exactly. My friends, I said, there is only one answer to such a question, but nevertheless, we are bound by no promise to the master of this ship. Not at all, monsieur, the stranger replied. Then in a milder tone, he went on. And now, let me finish what I was going to say to you. I know you, monsieur Aranax. You, if not your companions, will not have so much reason to complain of the fate that has linked your life with mine. Among the books that I like best to study, you will find the work you have published on the ocean depths. I have read it many times. In it, you go as far as land-based science could go. But you do not know everything, nor have you seen everything. Let me tell you, Professor, you will not regret the time you spend on board. You are going to travel through a wonderland. Astonishment and amazement will probably become your habitual state of mind. You are not likely to become bored with the endless spectacle offered you to feast your eyes on. I plan to revisit in another underwater journey around the world. Perhaps it will be my last. Who knows? Everything that I have so far been able to study on the bottom of the sea, where I have so often been, you shall be my fellow student. From this day on, you will be entering a new world. You will be seeing what no man has yet seen, for I and my companions do not count any more, and our planet, thanks to me, deliver up to you its last secrets. I cannot deny that these words had a powerful effect on me. He had caught me in my weak spot, and for a moment I forgot that contemplation of sublime things could not compensate me for loss of my freedom. Moreover, I was depending on the future to solve this grave problem, so I contented myself with replying, Sir, even if you have cut yourself off from humanity, I cannot believe you have rejected all human sentiments. We are the victims of a shipwreck, charitably picked up by you. We shall not forget this. I must admit that if my interest in science could take the place of my need for freedom, the prospects of our associations could offer me great compensations. I thought that the captain was going to hold out his hand for me to shake in conclusion in our agreement, but he did nothing, and I was disappointed in him for not doing so. One last question, I said, just as this extraordinary being seemed with about to withdraw. Yes, professor. How should I address you? To you, replied the captain. I am just Captain Nemo. To me, you and your companions are just passengers on board the Nautilus. Captain Nemo called out, and a steward appeared. He then gave his orders in that strange language that I could not identify after, which he turned toward the Canadian and Conseil and said, A meal is ready in your cabin. Please follow this man. I won't say no to that, replied the harpooner. So he and Conseil finally left the cell where they had been incarcerated. And now, Monsieur Aranax, our lunch is ready. Permit me to lead the way. At your service, Captain. I followed Captain Nemo, and as soon as I passed through the door, I found myself in a sort of corridor lit by electricity resembling a passage in an ordinary ship. About ten yards further on, a second door opened before me. I came into a dining room decorated and furnished in somewhat severe taste. 
high oak dressers inlaid with ebony stood at either end of the room the shelves whose edges were scalloped sparkled with china and earthenware and glass of an inestimable value flat dishes glistened beneath lights set in the ceiling fine paintings softened the glare in the center of the room stood a richly appointed table captain nemo pointed to the place i was to take please sit down he said to me enjoy a good meal and you must be dying of hunger lunch consisted of a number of dishes the materials for which could only have come from the sea as well as some foods of whose nature and origin i knew nothing i will admit that it was very good the taste was quite peculiar but i found it easy to get used to these various delicacies seemed to me to be rich in phosphorus and i assumed that they must have come from the sea captain nemo kept looking at me i did not ask him anything but he guessed my thoughts and of his own accord he answered the questions i was longing to put to him most of these dishes are unknown to you he said however you can eat them without fear they are healthful and nourishing i gave up land food a long time ago and am none of the worse for it my crew who are fit and well eat the same food then all these foods are really products of the sea yes professor the sea supplies all my needs sometimes i put out my nets and when i draw them in again they are full to bursting sometimes i go hunting in regions seemingly inaccessible to man and i flush out the game that lies concealed in my underwater forests my flocks, like those of old Father Neptune, graze without fear in the immense prairies of the ocean. Here I have a vast domain that I exploit myself, a domain sown and stocked by the hand of the Creator with all things imaginable. I looked at Captain Nemo with some astonishment and replied, I realize perfectly well, sir, that your nets provide excellent fish for your table, but I find it hard to understand how you can pursue aquatic game in your underwater forests. How even less do I understand how a piece of meat, however small it may be, can figure in your menu. Moreover, monsieur, the captain rejoined, I never make use of the flesh of land animals. Then what is this? I said, pointing to a dish that still contained some slices of filleted meat. What you believe to be meat, professor, is only fillet of turtle, and here is some dolphin's liver that you would take for pork stew. My cook is very skillful, and he excels in processing these various products of the ocean. Taste them all. Here is a preserve of holothurian, and that a Malay would declare to be an unmatched anywhere in the world. There is a cream supplied by the udders of a cetaceans, and a sugar by the great fucus plants that grow in the North Sea. Finally, let me offer you some anemone jam, which is as good as that made from the most tasty fruits. More as a curious man than as a gourmet, I tasted all these things while Captain Nemo enchanted me with his incredible tales. By this sea, Monsieur Aranax, he said, this prodigious, inexhaustible provider does more than just feed me. She dresses me, too. These materials that clothe you have been woven from the fibers of certain shellfish, and they have been dyed with the purple of the ancients and shaded with violet tints that I extract from the Mediterranean sea hair. The scents that you will find on the dressing table in your cabin have been produced by the distillation of sea plants. Your bed is made of the softest sea grass. Your pen is made of whalebone while the ink you use is juice secreted by the cuttlefish or the squid. I now receive everything from the sea, just as some day the sea will receive me. You love the sea, Captain, don't you? Yes, I love it. The sea is everything. It covers seven-tenths of the earth. Its breath is pure and wholesome. The sea is an immense desert where man is never alone, for he feels life pulsating all about him. The sea is nothing but the means which permits man to lead an almost supernatural existence. It is all movement and love. It is a living infinite, as one of your poets has said. And in fact, Monsieur Le Professeur, 
nature manifests itself by its three kingdoms, the mineral, the vegetable, and the animal. The last is well represented here by the four groups of zoophytes, by three classes of articulates, by five classes of mollusks, by three classes of vertebrates, the mammals, the reptiles, and numberless legions of fish, representing an infinite order of animals embracing more than 13,000 species, of which only a tenth belong to fresh water. The sea is a vast reservoir of nature. It was through the sea that the earth, so to speak, began, and who knows but what it might not come to an end through the sea. Here we have perfect tranquility. The sea does not belong to despots. On the surface, they can still exercise their iniquitous laws, fight, devour each other, and indulge in all their earthly horrors. But thirty feet below its surface, their power ceases, their influence fades, their dominion vanishes. Ah, monsieur, to live in the bosom of the sea. Only there can be independence be only there can independence be found. There I recognize no master. There I am free. Suddenly, amid this burst of enthusiasm, Captain Nemo became silent. Had he allowed himself to be carried away beyond the bounds of his normal reserve? Had he been talking too much? For a few moments he walked up and down, obviously very agitated. Then his nerves grew calmer, his face again took on its usual serene reserve, and turning toward me, he said, "'And now, Professor, if you would like to inspect the Nautilus, I am at your service.'" Questions to consider after reading. The captain speaks all four languages previously spoken, yet didn't respond during the first interview. Does his reasoning make sense to you? The captain says he is not a civilized man and has broken from society. Why would he do this? What are Captain Nemo's motivations at this point? What type of character is Captain Nemo? Thank you for listening to today's chapter. If you would like to discuss the questions, follow me on the Crack Open a Classic podcast Instagram page and comment on today's chapter's post. If you like this podcast, please share it with others so we can get the word out about more classics. If you would like to suggest a book to be read, email me at crackopenaclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Check back tomorrow for the next chapter in this adventure.